Good morning, church. How are you this morning? So good to be here with you. You know, it's church this morning, so I thought I'd talk about God. Is that okay? No, really, really, I, I'm going to talk about God this morning. I want to talk about God and His character, talk about God and His nature. There's this crazy thing with God. There, there's, like, there's a paradox. You know what a paradox is? Not a paradox, but a paradox. These two things that we hold that, that, uh, that, that if we were to hold, hold them uh, separately in each hand, that, that we would look at them and say, oh, those are contradictory to one another. And yet, and, and yet when we look at them in God, right, these two truths are, are both true. And there they are in God and His character and His nature. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about God. You see, there's these two parts of God. Here, there's His holiness. God is holy. He is pure. He is, he is righteous. This is, this is who God is. This is part of His character. And, and when we come together uh, every Sunday and we, we want to talk about God, we want to talk about His holiness, His pure nature. Uh, he, is, he is absolutely sanctified, which means that He is absolutely 100% holy. That is His character. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about God being holy. On the other side, I want to talk about God and His pursuit of us, right? Uh, this is the great part of who God is. He created us. and We messed up. We rebelled against Him. We decided not to be obedient. We knew the right thing to do, and we didn't do it. And He's still pursuing us. He still wants us. Here's the facts. He chose you. He chose me. He wants you. He wants me. He desires you. This is God's character. It's part of His nature. It's part of who He is. And this morning, and over the next several weeks, we're going to look at God as being relentless. He is relentlessly holy, and He is relentlessly in pursuit of you and I. He is unyielding in His desire to be holy and for us to join Him there. He is absolutely relentless in taking us and saying, I want you to be with me, and I want you to be holy like me. And here's what that means. Here's what that means. What it means when we're talking about God being holy, what it means is, is that God hates sin. That, that God, because He is holy, he detests unfaithfulness. He can't stand it. In fact, it's one of those things in the Bible that, uh, that, that Scripture tells us, God's Word tells us that, that He cannot do this. He cannot sin. That's how much God hates it. Because God is holy, He cannot sin. Now, now here's the paradox Here's the thing that, that we have to hold in, in truth, that, that God is both of these things. He is holy, and yet He's in absolute, relentless pursuit of us. He is holy, which means He hates sin. 
but He's in pursuit of us, which means this. He hates sin, but He loves the sinner. He detests unfaithfulness, but He adores the unfaithful. And God, in His character, in His nature, longs to know you and me. So this morning, I want to talk about God. Is that okay? I want to talk about God and His holiness and His pursuit of you and me. And I want to do that by, by opening up a story in Scripture. A story about a prophet named Hosea. Uh, you see, Hosea is a, is a prophet from the Lord. And, and, and being a prophet of the Lord is a good thing. I mean, if you're a prophet from the Lord, uh, then, then somehow, some way, like people know it. Every time we come across a, a prophet in Scripture, they, they oftentimes receive this special calling from the Lord. And, 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 and it seems like people recognize in them, I don't know how, uh, but that people recognize in them that they have the word of the Lord, right? Uh, and they would go around and they would say things like, God says this, and people would either have to listen to that or they would have to reject it. This is what God is saying. And, and the good side of that is that, is, that, is that God was on your side. If you were a prophet from God uh, and you were able to speak God's word, that God was going to be there with you. He's going to protect you. The, the downside sometimes is that whatever God said, you had to say. Whatever God said you needed to do, you needed to be obedient. You may not even understand it, but you have to follow through in it. Are you all with me? This is what it means to be a prophet of God. And Hosea gets a word from the Lord. This, this crazy, unbelievable word from the Lord. And the word from the Lord is, Hosea... I want you to take for yourself an adulterous wife. Uh, wait, wait a minute. Uh, come again, God. Uh, I don't think I heard you quite right. Uh, I thought you said uh, you want me to take an adulterous wife. Yes, yes, Hosea, that's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to take an adulterous wife. And being a prophet of God, Hosea obeys. He may not even understand what it is that God wants him to do, but he goes and he, he marries Gomer, an adulterous wife. Now, now some commentators, uh, some scholars disagree over really the, the nature of who Gomer is, but there's some who have suggested that Hosea, when he is asked to go and marry an adulterous wife, doesn't just marry any prostitute, any adulterous woman, but he marries the woman that perhaps every man in town has slept with. That she was the woman that, that all other men knew. And, and, and Hosea goes out as a prophet from God and chooses her. Can you, marry, can, you, can you imagine that wedding ceremony? There you are, Hosea, standing before the preacher with, with Gomer, the woman that you have been told by the Lord to go and marry. And you are, you are pronouncing vows to one another. 
the vows, something, something of a covenant of relationship that says we will be faithful to one another. Some of you have been there, right? And the preacher says things like, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others in accordance with God's commands. You, you remember stuff like that? And they both repeat them, and they're both there, and they're both wearing the rings. And Hosea knows the entire time that this woman is going to be unfaithful, and yet he marries her anyway. And I just wonder with you, why in the world? Why in the world? Why why would God? Give a word to the prophet to do something so extreme. In the text that we're going to get into this morning in Hosea, the reason is given that Hosea becomes this visual picture of the unfaithfulness of God's people. I warn you this morning, I'm going to talk about God. And when we talk about God and we talk about His holiness and His pursuit of us, then what we also need to recognize is that we're going to collide with God and His character, and He is going to hold that mirror in front of us. Are you ready for that? It's one of those long, maybe hard looks into the mirror. Maybe you have done this before where you look into the mirror and it's not just about the flesh that you are looking at, but, but what you are looking at. What you are looking for is that which is behind your skin. This morning, I want to talk about God. And when I do that, when we look into Hosea, we are going to have to collide with God and His holiness and His character and His pursuit of us. Are you ready for that? Because He's going to hold up a mirror. And He's going to challenge us in the way we live our life. And he's going to tell us something about the nature of sin and the nature of himself. Are you ready? Join me in Hosea chapter 1. It's page 625 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. If you're flipping through your Bibles, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Ezekiel, Daniel, and then Hosea. Remember, we're talking about God. We're talking about God's character. He is relentless in His holiness. He is relentless in His pursuit of us. And these two things come together here in the book of Hosea. God hates sin. He detests unfaithfulness. You can't see this any more clearly than in Hosea chapter 1. Join me in verse 4. You see, Hosea... He is going to have uh, some children with this adulterous woman. He is this visual picture of the unfaithfulness of God's people. Notice what he says in verse 4. They've had a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. That This isn't exactly the kind of light, fluffy language that a, a prophet of God would like to hear from the Lord, right? 
Jezreel, it was this, this place. Jehu had, had done exactly what the Lord had told him to do. He had carried out the righteousness of God. And, and what, what Hosea is being told from the Lord is, hey, that massacre, that, that bloodbath that took place, you remember that? That's going to happen to the people of Israel. That's going to happen to my people because they have been unfaithful to me. Notice verse 6. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. What are we going to name this beautiful daughter? It's not going to be anything like Lydia or Sapphire, these beautiful names, right? No, no. What are we going to name this beautiful daughter? Verse 6, Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Rumah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel that I should at all forgive them. Lo-Rumah means not loved. So you have, you have a child that is named Jezreel and, and representing a, a massacre that took place. And God is saying, that will happen to my people. And then He says, I want you to name this second child, not loved. Uh, what is the name of the third child? Look at verse 9. Then the Lord said, call him Loami, for you are not my people and I am not your God. What? Wait a minute. Okay. Think about this for a minute. You, you, you're, you are God's prophet. You are speaking the words of the Lord. You have, you have trust and, and been obedient. And God tells you to do this extraordinary thing. And then He makes you a visual message. Hosea's message was his family, you understand. So here is Hosea, and here is his adulterous wife, and here are his three kids. If we were to name them today, it might be like Hosea saying, hello, this is my, my oldest child. Their, their name is Terrorism. And then their next child, oh, her name is Ugly. And the last child, their name is Castaway. Can you imagine? What if you were to name your child Terrorism and Ugly Castaway? You think you might get a few strange looks? And here is Hosea, this visual picture of God's message that the people of the Lord have been unfaithful, that they had sinned against the Lord, and he's going through, and he, every time he announces his three children, people begin to talk. Oh no, he's, he's got an unfaithful wife, and he's not accepting them as his own. And that's not it at all. It's the opportunity for Hosea to look into the eyes of the people that are looking at his children going, oh, poor kids. And he is in turn saying, no, you don't understand. You are terrorism to the Lord. You are not loved. You are not his people. And this is shocking, isn't it? And this is that, that paradox of the Lord. This is that, that side of the Lord where we go, He's holy. He's pure. And some of you are thinking right now, I thought God couldn't walk away. Because what God is saying so clearly is that He is about ready to walk away from His people. Wait a minute. Some of you are sitting there saying, oh, I knew it. Knew it the whole time. That's who God is. 
Can God do such a horrible thing? Can he walk away from his people? Yes. Yes, he can. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, but what about that, that, those verses in Scripture about God being loving and abounding in love? Where is that? Is God love here? Yes. Yes, He is. But how He defines it might be different than, than we have often thought. You might think about it like this. There's a parent and there's a rebellious son. He's 12 years old and, and all that he can possibly do to his mother day after day is just backtalk. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, mom just, every step is... You should do this. I, I want you to do this. You, I want you to clean up your room. I, I don't want you to hang out with those friends. And, and, and it's a fight every single day. And finally, she's had enough. You see, he's, he's, a, he's a pretty good soccer player. And she says, I, I want the thing in his life that he pursues more closely than any other thing. He's got a soccer game coming up. And I'm going to tell him, the next time this happens, he's not going to soccer. And so it happens again, just, just as she knew that it would. And she says, I want you to understand something. I love you, but this cannot go on anymore. You see, this relationship that you and I have, it... It, it rules over other things, and I'm not going to allow you to do this anymore. You're not going to your soccer game. And what does he feel? He begins to feel, oh, man, oh, my parents, can't believe it. They're so unfair. Goes to his friend's. My parents hate me. Why do you say that? They're not going to let me go to my game. But she knows, doesn't she? She knows that she has to do something to save the relationship. And she says, I will do, I will go to extreme measures to make this happen. And he thinks, well, you know, I know what I'll do. I know. I got it. I've done this before. It'll work again. <sighs> he comes down. Mom, you're so good, Mom. Mom, I just, I just want you to know how really sorry I am. Mom, I, I really messed up earlier, and I just cannot believe that I said that to you, Mom. And she says, you know, son, I, I'm really glad that you're sorry. I, I'm glad that you see that there is value in this relationship. Thanks, son. Thanks, son. 
and they hug, and it's good. What does he do? He's up the steps. He's getting on all his soccer gear. He can smell the grass on the field already, can he? Runs down the steps. I'm ready to go, Mom! No, I don't, I don't think you understand. No, no, no. I said, I said no, didn't I? There's no soccer game today. Maybe in this, maybe in this picture of a parent to a child, we begin to understand the paradox of God's holy character. Maybe it's a picture of a, of a parent to a small child. Hey, come on, it's time to go. I don't want to go. No, 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 it's time to go. You have to stop looking at that. No, no, stop. I don't want to stop. Come on. No, no, come on, it's time, come on. Okay, I'm going to leave without you. It only takes once. And you walk out the door, and the child thinks, where'd they go? I'm lost. I'm alone. They left me. All the while, what is the parent doing? They're watching they're looking over. They know. But it's the willingness to walk away and say, you need to value obedience to me. This is God's character. This is His holiness. And He's willing to walk away. Why? So that we can see our own sin. You see, the nation of Israel had, had entered into a, an extreme time of comfort and prosperity and everything was going really well. And, and let's just face it, sometimes when the bank account reads good, when we're in the green, when the, the, the cupboard is full, it's easy not to have to trust in who God is. And this is where Israel has found themselves. And they have begun to be unfaithful to the Lord. They have begun to, to go and worship idols. And, and the picture that God draws for His people is, I want you to understand that this is a woman who is being unfaithful to her husband. That is how I feel. And so... For you and I, we have to ask the hard question as God puts the mirror of His holiness right in front of us, don't we? We have to ask the very hard question of ourselves as we peer into the mirror of what God is doing, and we have to answer really tough questions like what idols are lurking for us in our rooms, in our closets, that God would like to eradicate? Is it money? We all like money, don't we? 
And sometimes we can make money an idol. We can, uh, we can say of money, I, I am going to do everything in my power to possess money, to have it, to love it, to desire it. And some of you are saying, I don't have any money. How can I possibly uh, have an idol of money? Sometimes when we don't have something, we want it all the more, and so we pursue it with all of our life. And sometimes if we have money, what we, what we live in pursuit of is to, to hold on to our money, don't we? Jesus' words to that are, hey, if you, if you think that you can serve money and God, you are absolutely wrong. You cannot love money and love God too. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe an idol in our own culture is family. This happens so regularly, doesn't it? Parents idolize their children. And then this sounds strange, but, but it's true in practice. Parents who will bow down before their kids to sacrifice anything and all, the, uh, any finance uh, they want to provide for their children, anything uh, to, to make sure that they can push their child over the line of success. Whether that line is in sports or uh, some kind of athletics or academics or, or, or some kind of extracurricular activity or whether that's in business. I mean, we'll do anything for our kids. The question is, will we do those same things for our God? And we can make our children our idol, can't we? And Jesus, in words so clear and Seemingly so hard, he says, hey, if you don't hate mother and father and family and kids for me. In other words, if there's not complete allegiance to me, then you cannot be my disciple. And maybe it's power. Maybe your idol is just something you, you desperately want to hold on to be able to have influence with people. You, you want to, to be able to control the kinds of things that happen in other people's lives and in your own, and, and you've pursued power and ability to be able to go in uh, to your business or, or, or your surroundings and say, I own this, and you pursue it with all that you are, and it, it receives far more sacrifice than your relationship with God, and He is putting a a mirror in front of you of His holiness and saying, what is the idol in your closet? You ever get the sense like God is willing to walk away? Now some of you are nervous right now. If God's willing to walk away, then what do I do? Why, why in the world would God show me a mirror so that I could only see my own sin? Have you ever looked into a mirror? I mean, have you ever looked into a mirror when, when you have something that you didn't know was all over your face? Have you ever come in from one of those cold days and then work with me here, Okay. It's cold outside, but it's warm inside, and the minute you get inside, your nose starts to run, and maybe you, you kind of do one of these. <laughs> and 
you got a booger hanging out. <laughs> Have you ever been there? Now, the problem is that you don't know it. The question is, the question is, are there people in your life that love you enough to tell you? Right? Can I tell you very clearly? God loves you enough to tell you. God loves you enough not to enable you to continue down a destructive path of behavior that, that continues to remove you from a relationship with Him. He loves you enough to tell you. You see, we get sin all wrong. When we have the, the mirror of holiness in front of us and we recognize sin and we go, oh, look, it's sin. What do we do? We, we tend to do this. I'll just hide. Right? We're like a child playing peekaboo. All right, God, you can't see me. And we try and cover up. People understand this great, this is like the core of the core of the gospel right here. This is like good news plus. Why is it that God tells us about our sin? Why is it that He holds a mirror up to us so that we can see what we can't see? It's so we'll run to Him. He shows us our sins because He's the one that can do something about it. Look with me. Come back to the text, chapter 1. Look with me in verse 11. Notice this very hopeful word. The people of Judah and the people of Israel, they're going to be reunited. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. He's saying, I am going to take what was bad and I'm going to restore it. I'm going to renew it. I'm going to make it new. Did you, did you notice this little phrase? In verse 11, he says, I, and they will come up out of the land. It's just a word that just simply is like spring outside. How many of you love spring because you can begin to, to see the, the grass coming up, the new grass, and it's green, and, and maybe you've got flowers in your, in your bed, and they're beginning to come up, the buds on the trees. Anybody? And what he's saying right here, I'm going to show you your sin. But I alone am the one who can restore you, and you will come up like dead seeds in the ground. You will poke through, and you can be restored again. God shows us our sin because He alone can bring the reversal. Are you hearing that? God can bring the reversal. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're struggling mightily with sin. Maybe there's something that you know that you shouldn't be doing, but you're doing anyway and you, and, and you feel like hiding. Don't hide anymore. Run to God. He shows us our sins so that we'll come to Him, not so that we'll run away. Because what we're seeing with the relentless God is, yes, He is holy, but He is also absolutely in pursuit of you and me. If you're struggling this morning, run to God. 
Get down on your knees in prayer, and maybe you don't even know the words to say, but you begin just to say, hey, you know, this is me, and I don't know exactly what to do with this, uh, but I'm going to give it to you, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell somebody. I'm going to tell a friend. I'm going to tell a pastor. Uh, maybe some of you are just sitting there saying, I, I need to do something, and so you're going to take some of those next steps that Josh keeps talking about. Because you desire what God desires for you, and that is holiness. And you say, I'm going to be absolutely obedient to whatever it is that God has in store for me. Next week is Easter, right? You all excited about that? I can tell. (laughs) Folks, we all We all have sin. That's not the issue. The issue is what do we do with it? And there's an opportunity coming up next week where people generally are just going to come to church. They might not even know why. They just do. And you have an opportunity to invite them. And what I want you to invite them to is a God who is holy and a God who is relentlessly pursuing them. You have sin issues? Me too. So do they. And what they need is the God alone who can bring reversal. Will you invite them to that? Invite them to that. You want a sneak peek into next week? Here's a sneak peek. The question that I'm going to ask next week is this. What does God do with unfaithful people? What does God do with unfaithful people? Tune in next week. (laughs) Let's pray. Gracious God, you're good. Uh, (laughs) Wow, you're good. Thank you for meeting me at the place of my sin and saving me from it. For saying, I will walk away from you so that I could find the depth of you saying, you are now my people. You are my loved one. May we hear that message so clearly this morning. Thank you for your goodness. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.